no pasa nada, no pasa nada. De hecho, yo ahorita ya voy, voy, pero creo que localizaron restos humanos en semienterrados o osamentas. Se manejaron como osamentas, pero no saben si tiene algo de carne todavía. De hecho, apenas voy para allá sobre el Boulevard 2000. This WhatsApp message I got in Tijuana came from a journalist named Jesus Aguilar. He is one of a special breed of police scanner hawks, independent reporters who zoom from crime scene to crime scene, take pictures of the carnage, and post what they can on their social channels. Every Mexican city seems to have a handful of these. In Tijuana, it's Jesus and Margarito 4-4, and they can have huge followings, partly for the lurid fascination, partly because it's honest reporting in a dishonest system. In this message Jesus left me, he's telling me that he is headed out to check on some human remains to see how much meat there is on the bone, as he put it, but that he'll report what he finds to his Facebook page. That side of Tijuana, I think, is an important one too, a side that is connected to this week's guest, Hera Gámez. For all of the positive energy and incredible food in this town on the rebound, it is still a place of border intrigue and smuggling routes and deportees and flashes of violence. There's just enormous pressure on Tijuana, especially in this shaky moment between U.S. administrations. So many vulnerable people wind up here, creating a teeming ecosystem for prey and predator alike. It is a city, but it is a waiting room, a holding cell. And here, standing out among the lost souls, there are also many people who have come to help. For whatever his sins in the past, this week's guest ended up being one of the helpers. Hera Gámez had a deeply tough life story, from cross-border abandonment as a child to gangland violence in L.A. that left him paralyzed and then shot again after he was paralyzed, to adjusting to the reality of life in a wheelchair in a city he did not know, with no feasible way of returning to the United States. And yet, he wound up helping himself by helping others, working with one of the organizations I admire most here, Al Otro Lado, The Other Side, a fierce legal aid group working on both sides of the border. As you might know if you follow us on social media, Hera died unexpectedly in 2020, not that long after recording this pre-COVID episode. It was a shock, but here's what makes his life's last chapter so special. He was doing work that lives on. The fight for the border, for the dignity and rights of all migrants, is as pitched as ever. So please help Al Otro Lado if you can. I will put links in the show notes. And for now, join me and the late Hera Gámez, drinking Clamato of all things, at the Hotel Tijuana in Tijuana, talking about his unbelievable life story. This is Nathan Thornburg, and from Roads and Kingdoms, you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. All right, that'll do. Wow, that is a sound. Sharp, crisp, clamato. Cheers. Cheers. I had to do it. You know, one of the things I love about Mexico is how everybody puts shit in their beer here. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those crazy things that they put um, michelada, right? And they put all sorts of stuff like saladitos in salt. Saladitos, michelada. This clamato has like clam powder in it. 
clam juice. They got everything in there, you know. Yeah. Just to go through a day, huh? Uh, yeah, it's a it's an amazing thing. Even my mother in law, who's who's from Tijuana, she'll just crack open a beer and start dumping salt in it if she can't if there's nothing else around, you know, to put in it. And it's uh it's it's a special thing. I didn't know about it. And now it's like I just want to start chucking stuff in the beer all the time, like a lager without things in it, you know. Doesn't yeah, the best one is when you put salt or or put um tahini in it. You know, especially oh, um, yeah, with, with with some lemon on the side. <laughs> yeah. <It's> straight. Um. <laughs> All right. So, Hera, uh, what's your name? Where were you born? Well, my name is Gerardo Gomez, and um, now I see myself right here in TJ. Even though I was born here in Mexico, I was born in Nayarit. Nayarit. Right. Where Where is that from, TJ? Two two state down. It's it's Sonora, Sinaloa, and then it's us. Well, I guess we're the third state from here. Uh huh. And on the bus, like 26, 28 hours from here to there. It's a big country. I mean, it's a small state, but man, getting there is crazy because you gotta cross all TJ, you gotta cross all Sonora, and then Sinaloa, and then it's us. You know, and it's a mission yeah. yeah there you go so you came you were born in Nayarit um how did you end up uh in the states my mom ending up you know like picking my sister and myself up you know from Nayarit at the age of I was nine my sister was 10 but and your mom had moved up there before right oh yeah most definitely she was she was staying over there and I mean she moved to California back in I don't know 80 guess you know like i don't know the exact year but since i remember the story that i know that my grandparent told me that i was 45 days old when um when she had left damn the house you so know? you were a young young infant uh and she went up north to go work yes correct she moved to california right there to los angeles i didn't knew my mom i didn't see my mom before like all those years all my infants here you know so it was, all, it was all your grandparents raising you and your sister? Correct, yeah, my grandparents, I seen them as my parents, you know. So my mom showed up, but like, I didn't, I didn't know she was my mom back then, now that I know, you know, but it was hard because she was trying to tell me, like, what to do, and I'm like, man, hold up, you know, like, I don't know you, and you can just kind of come and trying to demand me right here um, at my parents, which is my grandparents, right? And I was like, I'm your mom, right? Like, man, hell no. You know, like, so I ran to, to my grandparents, you know, like to my grandpa, and I grabbed his leg because I was a little kid. So I grabbed his leg and I told him, you know, like, there was a lady telling me that she was my mom, and that's when he broke the news that she was my mom. And it was hard, you know, it was hard to accept it. It was hard to even call her mom and all that, right? At the beginning of in my journey with her. And you were nine years old then? Correct. Yeah, I was nine. And she <clears throat> was she was there specifically to take you north, to take you up to the United States. Yes, correct. My sister and I. So she came out. She went over there to Nairi to pick us up. My sister and myself. So it was tough. It was hard, you know, because uh, the situation of getting to adjust to another life, to even call another person mom when. The only person that I knew, my mom and my dad, was my grandparents. I didn't want to leave them, you know. I didn't want to leave the state. I didn't want to leave them alone, you know. So I was hiding. I was hiding where 
where the pigs they live right there you know like we had pigs mm-hmm. back in the day when my grandparents we had pigs so i went and hide with them right there so they won't take me and then like they they took a couple of days for them to find me until the end they got me in holy shit you they hold me hostage <laughs> you stayed out there in the pigsty for yeah all night wow for a couple and, days yeah i was hiding on the uh, you know like on the trees like on the ne- lemon Waiyawo tree, you know, like like hanging in like a monkey, you know, like finding a spot like where I won't fall and and just hide from them, you know, until I went to one of my neighbors, like one of my friends back in the day. I went to their house and I slept in the house, you know, like hiding until the end. They, they had a homie and they got me and they, they didn't let me go. So after that, they just put me in the bus with them and that's when the journey started. And I, I did cry, I'm not going to lie, you know. I cried like, man, I think if I could remember what the, you know, what my mom tells me, that I cried the whole way, you know, like I go to sleep crying, wake up crying, you know, so. That's 28 hours even just to Tijuana, just just crying on the bus. Yeah, well, I get that. I mean, you were being taken away from everything you knew. And it's not just, I mean, leaving all of the people but you're leaving small town Nayarit right like yes. kind of rural area and then just dropping to you were in Boyle Heights immediately or were you in mm. another part of LA we moved to um West LA when they, when I went when I got to um LA and then since the house was small they needed more space we moved to South Central LA and after South Central back in the 90s early 90s it was a chaos I was a little kid it was war, you know, it was war between gangs and it's a little kid. My mom like, nah, it's too dangerous. So we moved from there and I would say close to the mid nineties to West LA and then from there we just I lived like a couple of blocks away from Dodger Stadium. What how did you survive that, like being dropped in the middle of kind of gang war south central la as a kid who I, I assume you didn't speak english when you came to the states yeah correct like i mean i, don't, I didn't know english good like that or even to defend myself so um, they were bullying me the you know other races you know like i'm not gonna be racist like that but you know like blacks we used to bully me because it was black and latinos there right so that's those are the groups that were kind of fighting or at each other's throat correct yeah, yeah. so as a little kid, we were getting, I was getting bullied. Man, I used to I used to fight them all the time, you know, because I didn't understand what they were saying, and, man, I would answer with a Spanish bad word and take off on them, you know, because like, I didn't know what they were saying, and, and I didn't like their idea because I didn't know English at the moment. And it was tough, you know. And, and also you were going through some shit. <laughs> yeah, going right. through a situation of getting pulled, yanked from my grandparents and there that I knew since I was a little kid, you know, like they were my life right there, you know, like they were my 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 mom was my grandma, my my dad was my grandpa, my grandpa, you know, and what do you think your your mom like? Why did she want to take you to the United States? Did she ever tell you like, or was it just she wanted you near now and she had the resources to to have you there? Well, at the moment, she said that uh, the reason why she took me to LA is. Uh, for a better life, so I won't be a burden on my on my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly that I could think of. She's telling me when I was a little kid, 
Yeah, it is. You know, it's amazing to me also sometimes, like people need to rethink what a better life means sometimes, you know? Yeah. A lot of people from north to south and south to north where, you know, they're kind of, I think white Americans always have this idea that people are coming up from Mexico and like because life is just so bitching in the States and what's actually true is life is super hard in a lot of places in the States. Also, I mean, it's, you know, Mexico is its own kind of tough, but, you know, there's there's nothing... I mean, I couldn't imagine a tougher situation than early 90s, South Central, Los Angeles, you know, like to find better life, right? Yeah, and especially when the when the riot, the Ronnie King riot, it's, it was crazy. I used to stay right there on, um, on 41st and Figueroa, right? So if you think Figueroa and Dennis Hoover in Vermont, and it happened in Normandy, so right. main boulevards is like, four main boulevards from from where I used to stay and where everything happened. And that's where it all just lit on fire. Yeah, and that's when everything just cracked down and they all went crazy around that area right there. They break into a store, laundromats, and man, you name it. And I wanted to go enjoy the the scene right there, but at the same time, my mom didn't let me because I was a little kid and it was too dangerous to be around the the situation because it was all over the news, you know, so... She just put us in the house she and locked let you it, in. Yeah, she didn't let us out. That feeling of being vulnerable and like being under attack and not knowing how to defend yourself. I mean, it, was that ultimately what drove you to kind of hook up with gangs, or was that did that come later uh, in in your life? Speaking from the truth, yeah, that kind of like drove me to like associating into a gang, like like calling my attention, like. It's it's most it's mostly the tension that that we wanted at the moment. I wanted her speaking for myself, right? I can't speak for other, but speaking speaking for myself, that kind of like was pushing me because I couldn't accept her, you know, like what she had done, you know, like because I keep keep asking her like why was the reason that she she picked my sister and myself late, you know, and brought my other brothers with her that's right because she you had had other brothers that who had been living with her the whole time yes correct my older brother and my older sister like and w- what difference did we made you know like how come she didn't brought us at the same time as they went you know like they went to la you know instead that she left us a little longer did she ever give you an answer that you were satisfied with to the moment that answer that i got it's because financially she was not ready, right? And that's when I was like being hard on her too, you know. You know, speaking for myself, I was being hard. You know, I was I was naive. I didn't was I didn't think right to throw in her face all the time, like man, you know, like like why? And that question never, you know, like the same answer. And I didn't find it reasonable valuable at the moment yeah now that um that i'm grown you know like old enough to think financially and looking at the whole picture the way it's supposed to you know i kind of like bow down and admit you know like that i was in the wrong but i admit my fault i admit that i did a lot of damage you know like from from being hard on her yeah and 
not accepting her like like in my life like completely but at and, the same time you were a kid right i mean yeah it was a kid dealing and, with it, and it was hurting you know it was bothering yeah. me and i mean it must have felt like a lottery to you you know that that they I, got picked and you didn't so i don't know i can see it from your perspective super clear yeah <laughs> anyway. that um that i even um i was holding that grudge for a good minute you know until one day just out of the blue as going to school going to high school i was saying yeah that's when i started like falling out the wagon you know that's when i was like going off track you know like not going to school no more and just but being, kind of, being being out there on the street yeah and, but it's interesting that you know when i asked about like joining up with gangs you went not to like self-defense but to family right like it was more to replace the family that you were kind of like disconnected with with your mom right yeah correct you know like at that moment since i was you know like crashing a lot of with my older brothers because they were pushing me to the edge you know like because they were older and i was a little just short kid that they could punk you know and i ended up just looking for another family you know and in reality at that moment the gang was my family you know and my homies my homeboys were my brothers you know yeah and and once i got in i said if you're gonna do something regret it before you do it don't regret it after you do it because that's when it like damn that's it you know like i gotta face reality here in jail or whatever that's when i i'm trying to bring god all the way down to like myself or the <laughs> dorm anywhere i'm at like god now help me like i'm in trouble like man when you ask god god don't let me do it god you know like find a different way for me you know and right. that's when you're gonna see the reality like that oh. conversation would have been better had before and there's a saying right don't hunk until you crash you know crashing then you honk you know <laughs> so it's a, in spanish it sounds different right but um you were you were honking <clears throat> after you crashed. yeah I was, uh, yeah you know when you when you crash and you get like you hit the dashboard or you mean you hit those steering wheel like and you just stay there bing, that's when you, <clears throat> you already know like you can honk now so you had said that <clears throat> so you're saying like better to regret it beforehand than afterwards do you regret i mean your time in the gang or I mean, it's a big part uh, of your life, right? I don't regret it because when I had when when I was in it, I was having fun, right? When I was doing all this little mumbo jumbo, <clears throat> I was man blasé. But now, when when I see myself in a in a situation where I'm in jail, I'm in in a situation like myself in a chair. That's when I. I regret, you know. Well, that's it. You know, what's done is done, and when it's, you know, and I ended up losing, you know, and they shot me when I was young, because I wanted to be out there on the street. I wanted to be a knucklehead, you know. And tell me about when you got shot. What happened? At that moment, <clears throat> when I got shot, <clears throat> it was it was crazy because. Then one night, I had drank so much. They're like, man, the party's still, it's still early, you know, to stop the party. And 
I was trying to ask my mom for the car. She didn't want to lend it to me because I was drunk. So she asked my brother to take me. And next thing you know, like, they recognized me, you know. And they pulled a strap and they shot me. He took and you to a place you shouldn't have been or you didn't? I don't, I don't blame, no, I don't blame my brother at all because. You asked him to take you out. It, it was my fault, you know. And I won't say it's good it happened to me. But at the same time, if that bullet would have hit him and he would have been in a chair, I think I would have been like with a guilty conscience. That he's in a chair because of me. And so, I, don't, I don't think I would have slept good, even though you could say I used to sleep about it. But, but looking at the bright side, I don't think I would. And I'm not saying I'm thankful because it happened to me, but just keep in mind that it was my fault. So. I mean, life goes on, and I can't look back, and I can't blame no one else but myself, you know. So you don't look at the people who shot you and say that's something special, a special kind of evil. It was just all part of the system that you guys were in. Man, you know, like, when you play in the mud, you can expect to get dirty, you know. Don't, don't, you know, don't expect, you know, like when you play in the mud, stay clean. Yeah, sometimes you lose, sometimes you win, sometimes you get out of some crazy thing that, whoa, I did that, I was like, man, and I'm out, I'm free, like, you know, if you see yourself on the other side of the coin and think, like, damn, that happened because I was playing in the mud, you know, like, you know, like the flies, what do they do? Once they play in the, in the shitter, what do they do? Just they're gonna eat shit, you know. And that's, <laughs> I'm on, that's one of them. That's why I'm Those one of them, you know. There. How old were you? Oh, when I got shot, 22. I was 22 oh. years old. I 22. Had I had turned 22. And you and you were in our paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah, like more, more, more up from the waist down, you know. And the bullet when I got shot, like I got shot, like on the left side where the heart is at, and it missed my heart by couple of centimeters but according to what the doctor told me looking at the x-ray they said that the bullet missed my heart by three centimeters four centimeters and um and then i busted one of my lung and it went straight to the spine and ever since then you know like i've been in a chair so everything's out there yeah now now that's when my whole world changed like damn from looking at the looking at the world standing up looking down then now then the chair i gotta look up you know the first year was hard man i ain't gonna lie you know i think most of us in the chair that we get paralyzed or car accident shot ran over or you know any type of accident and you get in the chair the first year is one of the roughest one then if if i could speak in general say most of us but I would say a handful of us, and I'm one of them, that come across their mind killing themselves, you know? It was hard, you know, like getting getting to be in a chair and not able to do the things they used to do from jumping, running, moving stuff to sitting, sitting in a chair. Like I said, all you can see is just people run. All you can see is people jumping and moving the things. And not be able to do the things that you used to do by yourself, it, it it brings a person way down to the floor, like 
man, you can get nowhere in the floor, you know, like you see yourself in the gutter. And it's also got that finality, right? You feel like it's, <clears throat> it's already, it's like a little death sentence as it is, right? Yeah, because when I got shot, paralyzed, and then a few months later, I was already in a wheelchair paralyzed when they shot me in the head. And that kind of like blew me out, like, whoa, you know? You got shot again? Yes, on a different occasion, you know? Got shot, paralyzed, and then months later, on the same year, got shot in the head. So you were still out on the street, spending time with your people? Well, I was, you know, like, just well, with another fam family member, right? But um, the thing is that um, we were coming from, it was bright daylight when it happened, you know? It didn't happen at night. So it was bright daylight, and they just see me, I guess, recognize me, or I don't know, you know, confusion. You could look at both ways. They confuse me for someone else, like this, that I look like somebody, or they recognize me. And once you have enemies, they're your enemies. For they decide, or you decide, or or I don't know, like after you get. You get old, you know, like you get old, and that gets wore out from from playing in the dirt. No, no, you, you're not the same youngster as doing the same thing, right? But at the time, they looked at me and they're like, they didn't know I was in the chair. Oh, they didn't know you were like just sitting. Yeah, because I was in a car. Ah, oh, shit. Okay. You know, and once you start seeing uh, the bullets flying, and like it was a wrap, you know, like. So you got shot in the head, and you survived that, too. Yeah, I survived it. Nothing worse happened, like being a quadriplegic instead of paraplegic, and it, it kind of like, man, it blew my mind, like, whoa, <clears throat> you know. I went to the doctor, and they took me. My, my, my family member took me to my mom, right, and... My mom, they gave her the new, like, man, he got shot again. Like, man, she jumped in the car. The first time she did, the second time she did it, the first thing she did is get in front of a police car. And the cop was coming, and she was driving, and she just got in front of a police car. That um, the cops came out with the gun drooling on their hand, like, you know, telling her, like, what was, what was wrong with her, you know? And she was telling that I was shot. Then she needed an ambulance. So right away they called the ambulance. They took me to general hospital and they right away put me on a, on a scan scan, whatever. Or yeah, a um, scanner. Or x ray. I don't know, you know, like, and the doctor came back telling me that um, that I was fine. The next day I went home. I was like, damn. And he said, like, man, you're a strong dude. Or somebody looking over you because, man, getting shot with that type of caliber of gun and. And nothing damaged on your head, and somebody's looking over you. And plus, man, you got a thick skull. And you're like, <laughs> man, you got a thick skull there. Right this is an intense start to a life. You're oh, only man. 22 at that point, right? Um, and and your your prison time came after that. No, it was before then. It was before that. Okay. Yeah, I went to prison walking, and then. Got shot, paralyzed, got shot again, and went back again because I was still, when I when I got shot in the head, uh, I really lost it, you know, like, no sugar coat of mine, you know, like, I was out there still, you know, the man, that's it, you know, they wanted to kill me like that. 
I'm gonna do what I gotta do, you know. And a couple of years I was out there, you know, like running a mug in a chair. You so know? you were still running around with weapons in yeah, a chair. And yeah, like, cause yeah, because I couldn't accept it, you know, like, man, they, they shot me paradise, man, that's cool, man, that's it, I'm done, you know, because can't fight a person like that no more, you know. So, like, man, I just, I just I'm just gonna leave it alone, you know, that's it, you know, they got me. But when they shot me in the head, I, I really lost it, I'm not gonna say, you know, like, now that I'm older, you know, I see the whole view, looking at my past, looking at, man, way different, you know, like, they, if I didn't get worse, should have left it alone. But when you're naive and your head gets blocked off, you don't care about what your family tells you. You don't care about whoever even says anything because that's when you start going more insane, more crazy, and just start losing track and start drinking more heavy, more doing whatever come across my hand that I could get a hold of and put me back in prison for um the same type of situation, carrying a gun and and just do time, just do time, and it gets wore out, you know. Like if if you put your head over your shoulder the right way, it gets wore out, yeah. you know. Because sometimes we 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 tend to carry our head facing backwards, you know, instead of facing forward. How how did that uh, that second time in prison was it related to to ending up here in Tijuana to getting deported? I didn't get deported. This is a true and fact right there. Me going to prison more and did all the time that I was doing, I never got deported. I kind of like deported myself, right? Mm-hmm. Because one night I was drinking with one of my brothers. and This is when you were uh, back out. Right, when I got out from prison the last time. And I told a man, like, man, we were drinking. And I, I don't know where we were just like, let's go to TJ. Let's go. Not knowing the consequence. At the moment, I was drunk. At the moment, I was, like, bumping in with my mom. So, like, man, I got, I blocked on myself. I took off with my brother. Let's go, man. Let's go to DJ. Have fun over there. But at the same time, once everything just faded away and came down to, like, the reality of now I'm stuck here. You know, it was fun while we're doing the things we were doing. Right but, when you're doing the DJ party, yeah, and crawl, then, um, and and you know you had told me before that there you had had a chance. Your mom's a citizen. You had had your papers were ready, but you were not in a state of mind in your life to take advantage of that and get your papers straight. So when you came down here, you didn't have like authorization to go back across the border. Well, I'll say late nineties, kind of like mid. Mid-90s to, like, late-90s, I was getting approved to get my um, papers. And at that time, you know, like, the I'm, uh, I'm speaking from the from the bottom of my heart, the truth, Brian, that at the time I was crashing a lot with my mom, you know, that I was just not caring at the moment because I was walking, and who cares if they deport me? Who cares everything, right? Now that... I see myself here in TJ deported that don't have action to, to go back. That's when everything just collapsed like a cold, cold shadow, in a, you know, like, you know, like a bucket full of water with ice, like psh, snap out of it, like, whoa. That's when I see the, the reality here, like, damn, what, what am I going to do? 
the lack of opportunity. <clears throat> right. You know, like, what am I going to do in TJ? What am I, what are my plans? I didn't have no <laughs> You know? <laughs> you just, you're not the first person to come down to TJ without a plan. Yeah, like, but, I, didn't, I didn't have no plan whatsoever. Now that I'm working with Al Otro Lado team, allowing me for um, even, I'm just thankful and, and, and grateful for, for Nora Phillips giving me the opportunity of working in her team and her believing in me because who would say, like, I don't know nothing about migration. I've been there, ah, but I never studied the law, you know. And but you feel it in your bones. This is part of your This is part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a hell of a way to kind of back into a, a life of service, you know, and, and the position that you've got now with Al Otro Lado. And I want to talk to you about that. But let me ask you uh, first about specifically being in a wheelchair and uh, navigating in Tijuana because I think maybe it's not the... It's certainly not a huge number of people, but it's an important population of people who have been deported, you know, and don't have access to get back to the States who also have physical, like, mobility issues. And, like, Mexico is not the greatest place for that. And, you know, it's like, it feels like a very special Mm -hmm. burden for people who are in wheelchairs or have other, like, kind of medical or physical needs to have to be down here. I mean, what's the difference between in, being in a chair here versus in 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 the United States? Man, it's a lot huge difference. I ain't gonna lie, you know, getting to know people from other countries, right, in wheelchair, as going through through therapy and learning how to use a wheelchair. I I met a lot of people from all over the world, you know, you name it, and and they tell me their story as well, you know, like. They got they got shot in their country, and it's hard for them to maneuver the chair out there, to move around, to get the equipment that we need from medical supply to man, you name it, you know, like medication and all. Then for you, for example, <coughs> like going down to Nayarit, where you were from, is just not an option because no, you no. can't get around. I went to Nayarit, and it was it was crazy because. At the time I went over there, it was raining, so it made it more hard to even go to a, go outside the house. Cause once you get out from the sidewalk, it's nothing but loose dirt, you know, rocks, sand, you name it. And it, it got to a point that what am I doing there? What am I gonna do with my life there? You know, just to be a burden on my grandpa, my grandma, my grandma, my grandpa was still. My grandma passed away. Oh, I'm sorry you know. to hear that. Thank you. No, but my grandpa's still alive, and he's staying strong out there. And, I mean, to this day, I think about it, like, what would have been for my future out there? Like, would have been the same as before, the same as now, or or worse? To this day, I don't have an answer for it because I left right away so I didn't get to experience a lot being over there. This but is the, when you were down here permanently in Mexico. You decided <laughs> just like to to leave Nayarit quickly and come back to TJ. Well, going back to to when I said that I came with my brother over here partying and they didn't let me go back into to the United States. I ended up 
going to Nayarit. I don't know where I just jumped in the bus. You know, to my family, I'm going to Nayarit. I just jumped in the bus. How do you? How are you dealing with this time here in Tijuana, in terms of kind of managing? You know, just the life you obviously have been building a life for yourself here. Is it? Is it difficult? Is it? Um, I, I do find. I think even when you were pulling up and driving here, there was a guy who was kind of like a panhandler, and then the guy who was a parking lot attendant. Everybody was speaking in like accentless American English. You know, it's like, it's just a reminder that there's a lot of Americans here, you know, that, and, and there's a lot of deportees here. I don't know what their story was were, but like, could definitely be that. And a lot of people who are Americans or, you know, spent a lot of time in their lives who are over here who can't get back. What, I mean, what is that like for you? And do you at least feel like you're in a city where there's a lot of people who are in that position? Well, I'm gonna say respectfully, Right, like from the bottom of my heart, that when I lost my case at the detention center, I felt at the moment I was like, "Damn, I'm done." You know, what am I gonna do after? But psychologically, you know, like you you tend to throw yourself out of it, and you you know, like play cards or do your little handcraft, whatever things you like to do, or watch tv all day or anything but when that reality and thing hit the fan that's when you're gonna that's when you see the reality and and for us in a wheelchair if we don't have a one one of a family member to pick you up at the border they won't release you they will still keep you in custody right until you find a family member which is mom dad brother sister cousin whoever could pick you up at the, at, at this side of the borderline they will release you and now find a friend that can that can um greet you and meet you at the border and and have that person be saying that he's responsible and and he's gonna take care of me whatever right that's when they release you did it take a while to get that person well my mom she was not ready because she's been ill you know ill you know she's sick right and it's hard for her to travel long distance, right? And she couldn't make it at the time because she was going through a situation with the doctor. So I ended up giving extra months in the detention center. Just waiting for that chaperone right, who and, would come and get you. And once um, I was brought to TJ from Washington, that's when I... As soon as I rolled myself into TJ, that's when the reality hit me right in the jaw, like boom, you know, like man, that that punch, I didn't, I didn't even see it coming, but it got me, you know, it got me dropped to the ground, like, damn, what am I gonna do now from here? My family, that day they were here, they were driving me around, you know, doing this, going to eat and all that, but once they left, that's when the whole load. Uh, whatever you can name, I will say some rock, a, f uh, a bag full of rocks or whatever you can name them, right? They landed right on my on my shoulder. Like, damn, they're gone. What am I going to do from here? And it throws you out there. The first thing is trying to cross back. You know, the first thing comes, you know, comes across your mind. And is it, we, that's how you were in detention in Washington State. 
Were you in Washington State? Yeah, no, Washington. Yeah, Washington State. I guess I'm um, Tacoma. Tacoma, Washington. You were in Tacoma. It's by Seattle. Because you had crossed back illegally. N- or? N- no, I, um, they picked me up from prison. And ICE picked me up, right? And they took me to um, Tacoma, Washington, Seattle. How, how did that fit in with your, the time you came down with your brother? That was after? No, well, my brother was before. And then I crossed back. Oh, by okay. myself, and so you were in a wheelchair, but you crossed back illegally. Yeah, how the hell did you do that? Man, it's a long story, but I just rolled up and I tend to tell them, you know, like I was an American citizen, you know, and ask a few questions and and I answered the, the the way he wanted to, and <clears throat> and all he said, go ahead, and like, oh, that's yeah. it. That must have been the best day. Oh, yeah, you best believe. You know, like, I I almost jumped out of the chair and left my chair down. And I like, jumped on, you know, in a way. It's like, you know, it's a term of saying, you know, like, yeah, well, yeah. Like, I right away made some phone calls and I told him, hey, I'm on this side of town. You know, like, what do I do? Should I jump on the trolley or what? And friends came and picked me up, you know, and took me to LA. And I called my boss, hey, like, like, where was he at? If he was going to be in the office? He said, yeah. I showed up, and he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. I was right there in front of his door. Like, did he just call me? You were in IRE? They, It was like this, like that? Yeah. And now you're here? Like, man, I don't know. How did you do it? Man, you blew my mind. That's a Jedi mind trick at the border, man. Right. Yeah. Then I get incarcerated again, and I get thrown out. Got it. So that's how you ended up coming back down. And, right. And then. And then you I, tried to cross back again. I, I went back. The second time I went back. The same way. Now, and, and you, the stuff that you learned over there, you're now using at, at Al Otro Lado. It's the organization you're working for. What do you do for them? And like, what are, you know, what, what about their mission is important to you, I guess? <clears throat> okay. What I used to do over there. I don't do it here. Mm. It's a whole different paperwork. It's okay. a whole different ball game, you know. And from working and answering phones, you know, I I escalate myself to finding the Department of Finance. Before I got deported, I was working in finance. I would say since two thousand and eight. At Homeboy Industries, right? Okay. Since two thousand and eight, right? I. I started working in finance department, right? But since 2004, I was working with the industry, right? With the homeboy industry, got it. answering phone. And when I moved to that department, I really got into it and that I was learning a lot. I didn't know how to do a check to pay another person their hour yeah. over time. And you name it, you know, like um, everything that goes with, with the check of work, you know? Who would think me being doing that? And I thank every, I thank everyone from the department for allowing me to be part of their crew right there of allowing me and and trusting me with money. Yeah, right. You know, because that's, that's me what, having job. a record. Of, yeah, you know, doing stuff like I never committed fraud, so I. Yeah, you weren't a criminal like a banker. Criminal. No, 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 <laughs> like, nah, no not like guys, that. Not like that. But those guys yeah, are dangerous. Man. Yeah, not like that. But just having a record 
and working in the department is it's a mind blowing because like you being in prison you doing and you are like like the way you look and they allowed you they're accepting the team like damn like them giving me an opportunity and letting me grow from there right i took initiative and went to school i i went to um accounting class okay right and i got my certificate for it i was trying to take accounting too but when they gave me the bad news that i couldn't take accounting too because of my um, status not being legally in in the u.s not having a a, a good social security because the social security that was that was for me i blew it now having the california id because they were going to send me to the capital of California, which is Sacramento, ran to take the final test, <clears throat> and not having the, the the status of immigration correctly, they you couldn't get there. Yeah, they they kicked me out of the class and say you can't continue more because of your status. It it hurt bad because I do I did at the moment I wanted to continue with that class. I did want to. Finish. You like accounting? Yeah, I like playing with numbers, right? Huh. And, and is that what you're doing <clears throat> at El, Al Otro Lado now? No, now, now I was speaking about Humble Industry. Now right. I'm speaking about El Otro Lado. Nora, I met Nora back in back in LA, right? I met her and we became friends, you know? And after, you know, like her and seeing me, the way I was working at Humble Industry, she knew the, the way I. I could do my my job right, my job performance. And this that, is this is Nora Phillips, who Nora Phillips on al otro lado, one of the three kind of lead uh, attorneys, I guess, that are running al otro lado. Correct, yeah, one of the co-founders from al otro lado. Yeah, and she, for her meeting her on the other side, and for her allowing me to work on this side for her, is it's a blessing. Yeah, you know, there are not a lot of people get, you know, and. Right, oh, those I'm, connections I'm one of them, kind of survive. I'm one, correct. I'm, I'm one of them that is blessed by God and blessed by her allowing me to work on her team even though she knows all my record. She knows all my rap sheet. You yeah, know, yeah. She was my lawyer for immigration along with Steven, right? Um, we lost our case. I lost my case because I'm a record. I had a long tail, you know, to yeah. step on. And I don't blame them at all. I'm actually thankful for helping me for free you know uh, I mean I can't blame them nah you didn't do a good nah hell nah because you know like speaking from the truth you know like you gotta see your own self first in the reflection of the mirror to see yourself behind to say I got a record don't blame others yeah right because when you start saying you you did it you, you didn't do it so you pointing one finger at that person. So how many fingers are you pointing at yourself? You pointing, I, I you see. Point, I see what you, you're doing there. There's, you know, like you pointing three fingers at like you, yeah. you, and all three against you. You point and, that four finger at someone else. Yeah, you're uh, and, you're indicting and, yourself three times. And and what happened? Over. Where's the other ones go against <laughs> you? And when so, you admit it, you know. Yeah. And I like I said that I'm thankful. They, they, they helped me to the foolish. It but, didn't happen. We lost. 
you know. But but, but at Al Otro Lado is like this is an important time and they're doing important work, right? I mean, they're basically like free legal aid for um, for groups and all sorts of different aid, as far as I know. But just like making sure that people get representation, which is a huge deal, right? Because they don't have access usually to those kind of lawyers, right? Uh, is Al Otro Lado. Everything they they offer is free, free clinic to, free clinic, immigration clinic because clinic you know they got medical clinic right, but yeah. this is immigration clinic they, they help. In general, like deportee people, caravans, everything that they need, like parents that are getting separated from the kids, they're trying to trying to help them get back with the kids in the United States because. Yeah, it's hard for them to live here and the kids over there. Mom, you know, like it's, it's pretty. That's crazy it's, work, it's painful yeah. when we see their face. It's painful when we hear their story. That man, like you, you wish you could do more than what you're doing, you know, to help that person. But it's it's only a certain extent you could do and help them out with. Yeah. You know, and and offering all these free services. And sometimes they, they, they even ask me, like, how come you don't help yourself, you know? Like, I always give them a little scoop about myself, you know? Like, I always, when I talk to a person, I always put myself on front street first to, I kind of, like, can guide them. Yeah. Like, the situation. And and if I say it like this, it's because I put myself as an example. Mm. It's not like, oh, I heard it through the grapevine like this. No, I I'm, I live that experience and I'm living it and I'm going through it, you know, from getting deported and not finding an accommodated place here to live, right? Like the rooms, some of them, they're downstairs or they're upstairs and it's for us, it's hard for us in a wheelchair. The first reaction is like, I sit, I'm going to give up and... And the first thing we find is to hide ourselves behind is the alcohol and drugs. Yeah. You know? And and I'm speaking for myself. I cannot speak for others because I will, I will say something wrong if I do say, oh, other people. No. You know, I speak for myself and from my point of view all the struggle that I'm going through. Now working with the otro lado and getting the opportunity to learn the law, learn immigration law, and it's a mind blowing that man, I don't think I have the capacity for that. But it's as they're teaching me and guiding me, the whole team, right? They're guiding me how to do it. It's it's a blessing I'll say, you know, that they even taking their time coming from different state to come and teach me yeah man you know like i'm blessed you know i'm blessed and you know like more one more or less i could say just i'm thankful and grateful to all those people that have come and teach me what do you what do you see for yourself in tijuana like in five years or is it even here is it somewhere else where i see myself in in five years I don't know. You know, who knows if I'll make it in five years. But if I do, you know, is grow from, from what I'm learning and what they're teaching me and always respect the person that teach you and be thankful. 
you know, be thankful to that person that is giving you the helping hand, you know. And and if al otro lado stay strong and people they're they're gonna listen to this and they help us out to grow and help people, man myself, I'm thankful to to the people and and I'm pretty sure the whole team will be too thankful and grateful, you know, to having a lot of people in general to have the 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 courage to help us out and to listen and hear us, you know, like what we're screaming on the air, even though we don't scream, but they, it's a saying that like, man, we screaming for help. Yeah. But yeah, not, 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 not like actually saying it like that, but you know, like deep inside, like we screaming for help to help us out. And cause I'm, I'm one of the deportee people right here, right? Going through the struggles here, facing the reality here of medical wise, they shut me down. And that brought my moral down there. That right now my mom is holding me strong, right? My family in general, right? Brothers, right? Sister. They're keeping me strong to, like, they're bringing me medical supply. And thanks to my friends too, right? My friends are the one who's helping me, taking it to my mom or, or somehow connect to send medical supply to me. Right, I'm thankful. Yeah, for yeah. for them being there. Not everybody's got that. I, I was, you gotta know your friends, you know, like and and if they consider me as one of their friends, they have a friend as well right here. That I would have done the same, and and if they're doing it, ah, man, I highly appreciate it. And, you know, and my mom, you know, taking the time. That sometimes they, it's hard for her to come all the way over here for medical reason and yeah. financial reason, you know. But sometimes she managed to come to give me a helping hand and sometimes lift me up because sometimes I feel like I'm going down, down, you know. And because the stress gets to me because being alone here, you know, like from living a different life in the, in the U.S. to be right here facing the struggles of battle with the law, battle with the, the housing, and, and battle with the people in general, you know, like, it's hard, it's hard, man, it's hard, you know, and and I don't know, you know, like, God is big, you know, I, I could say God is big there. That's why I have a little, a little, um, like a ladder. I have God, my mom, my boss, and myself, you know, that, that's that's the uh, that's the order of uh, order of things. Right. Uh, How old are you, Hera? I'm, I'm gonna be forty. You're gonna be forty. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna be forty. And how long have you been uh, down here in Tijuana? Um, a year, a year and some change. Right. Going on two years in um in April. Hera, yeah. thank you so much for talking with me and. Uh, the, whatever path it, it took to get you to the point that you are able to communicate this way about your story is an amazing thing. It takes a lot of strength, man. I appreciate well, thank it, you for for you know like having the time and and sharing you know like 
listening to me, you know, because sometimes that's how we vent, and sometimes that's how we get a, like a message across around the world. It's going it's around world, the place, right? Head out worldwide. Yeah, and and if they help us out, you know, like man, you know, I'm one of them that I can say I'm thankful and grateful, and peace out. The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Alexa Van Sickle is our producer. Music by Dan the Automator. Episode illustration by Daisy D. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Thanks again to journalists Jesus Aguilar and Margarito 44. And special thanks to Melissa Flores of Al Otro Lado. And hell, to everybody that works there. One bittersweet note about this man, Hera Gomez, he had been stuck in Mexico as a deportee in life, but in death, he finally crossed the border again, buried near family in Southern California. Next week is our last from this town, and in keeping with the cross-border metropolis that is Tijuana, it takes place north of the wall. In a San Diego weed dispensary with Tijuana-based artist Tanka, we will meet you there.